you, Kaylee, for reading that, uh, our passage for us today. And uh, friends, I just want to say it is so good to be with you this second Sunday of Easter. Um, I, it's been a long time since I've preached <laughs> uh, to you all uh, in this way, and I'm really excited to be here. And I'm excited that we are continuing our walk and journey and celebration of the ultimate good news, and that is that the work of Jesus on the cross and the raising of himself from the grave has ongoing impact in our lives. It is because of that 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 we have hope and that we live from this hope, not only in hope of the resurrection, but from the resurrection as people embracing salvation through him. And last week, we got a chance to hear from Jason and the call for us to wake up to the presence and the power and purposes of God in our lives as we pondered what that means to live into the resurrection of Jesus. And today, we have a resurrection story. This time, we're going to be looking at the resurrection through the story of Thomas. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought to myself when I was preparing this sermon, whew, this sermon could raise some eyebrows. And the reason why is because we know that Thomas is the disciple that is often uh, the one that we call Doubting Thomas. He is the one that's known for doubting the resurrection. And here we are one week after Easter Sunday, and and we're preaching about a disciple who's doubted the resurrection. And listen, if you have those concerns, I hear you. And I also hope that we hear Thomas, because I think we need to hear him, and I believe that we need to hear his story, because his story is important, and his story needs to be told. It's a remarkable story about a disciple that has some doubts, some questions. But it is also a story about a disciple who has an encounter with the risen Christ and who comes to a renewed commitment to faith in Jesus. Now, many of us have heard about Thomas. We know his nickname that we often call him, Doubting Thomas. We know his post-resurrection story. We know about his heartbreak after hearing that Jesus had been crucified. And we know his dismissive response to the disciples who had seen Jesus, who uh, resurrected and had witnessed that and shared it with him. You see, Thomas didn't readily believe. And that's why we give him that nickname, Doubting Thomas. But I think Thomas has gotten a bad rap. And I think that some of us who have experienced heartache or heartbreak in our lives of things that are outside of our control may identify with Thomas more than we realize. We seem to call him Doubting Thomas, a name that, that we often use to describe others who, for one reason or another, don't come to believe easily. It is the name that we call someone who doesn't take information at face value, but they want to search out the entirety of a matter before committing to it. 
we name that kind of person a, a doubting Thomas because Thomas is the kind of person who wants to see it first and then after he has seen it, he believes. If, if Thomas was a state in the United States of America, Thomas would be the state of Missouri. He'd be the, the show me state because unless you show Thomas, he will not believe. If you were traveling with, with Thomas somewhere, if you were going to places with him, Thomas is the kind of person who wants to know that you know where you're going. Thomas doesn't just want you to have GPS, he wants you to have the printed instructions. And if he thinks that you don't really know where you're going, Thomas will probably not go with you. Thomas was in the Enneagram, I think I know what number he might be, and I won't speculate, but I have my suspicions. You see, Thomas just wants the facts, just the facts, ma'am. And so when we look at, at, at passage like John 14, when Jesus tells the disciples to not be troubled and to believe in him because he goes to prepare a place for them, Jesus says, you all know the place and you know the way. Thomas said, wait, wait, Lord, we do not know the way. How can we know the way? Thomas has questions, y'all. Thomas just wants to be sure that if he's going to go with them, and if he's going to follow Jesus, he wants to make sure that he's got all the information. Thomas wants a little bit more information than the average disciple. And he wants to be sure of where he is going before he commits to going there. And this is the way that Thomas engages important matters in life. And this is the way that Thomas engages his faith. And throughout history, we have been known to give Thomas a bad rap. We have been known to treat Thomas as an outcast to the faith. We have been known to treat him as one who is spiritually unmature or to, to treat him as, as one who doesn't really believe. And I think that we may just have misunderstood. Because the truth of the matter is, all of the disciples had concerns after the resurrection, not just Thomas. For the women who went to the tomb to weep, their issue, their concern was grief. And for the disciples who had locked themselves in a room, their concern was, was fear. And for Thomas, who was brokenhearted, his issue was doubt. And all of us, at some time or another, have experienced grief like Mary and the women at the tomb. All of us have experienced fear like those locked behind the, the, the locked door in the room. And all of us, if we are honest, have experienced some questions and doubt like Thomas. But we will treat grief with compassion. And we'll treat fear with grace, but, but doubt often with disdain and disapproval. But Jesus doesn't treat Thomas that way. Jesus doesn't treat Thomas's doubts and questions that way. Jesus doesn't shame Thomas or ridicule him for asking some difficult questions, but Jesus responds to Thomas's questions. Remember? 
How will we know the way? Thomas asks Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to God except through me. Jesus just tells Thomas that he is the way. That, that if Thomas knows Jesus, Thomas knows the way. And if Thomas, once he understands that, once he gets that, then his questions are satisfied and he follows Jesus all in. Thomas just needed a few more questions answered, that's all. And Jesus had no problem being with Thomas as he works through his faith and understanding. And that's good news for many of us today. It's good news for us who believe, and it is good news for us who believe and still have a few questions about life and faith. It's also good news for those of us who have experienced our own share of heartaches and heartbreaks that have left us a bit unsettled in our understanding as we try to make through and make sense of what is life. You know, I shared this before about a time in my life when I experienced what I would call one of the deepest, darkest moments of my own life. I remember uh, being a, a youth pastor in a church, and I remember the day I heard about a scandal that deeply affected my own life. That was the receiving end of a betrayal that, that left me scratching my head, not knowing which way was up or down. And I remember being there many nights, laying on the edge of my bed with my hands uh, balled up like this, beating the edge of my bed and looking up what seemed to be the heavens and saying, why, God, why? It's the only question that I could get out at the time. And I just remember saying, God, what are you going to do with me now? What are you going to do with me now? What happens to me now? And I just remember at the lowest point saying, I don't know if I'll ever step foot into another church again, not unless you can help me make sense of these experiences. One of the things I found in that moment, yes, it was hard, but I, I found that sometimes it felt like God wasn't present, but it also had times when I knew that God was very present, that God was there with me and my questions. Jesus can handle a few questions and has no problem being with us in them. And my experiences, although unique to me, is not unique to others in that we all have had situations and experiences that may have challenged us, may have unsettled us. You see, some of the most powerfully honest prayers that have ever been prayed are recorded in the Psalms where the authors have shared the full gamut of emotions and experiences, both questions and fears and doubts. Genuine, honest prayers. Prayers like, will the Lord reject me forever? Or has God's unfailing love vanished forever? Or has God forgotten to be merciful or how about that one that Jesus prays on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
You see, the psalmists record hard questions and they put into words that which we sometimes don't even have the vocabulary to say. And yet they are prayers that turn to God. And isn't that what faith is? Isn't faith turning to God even when we don't have the answers or full understanding? This comforts us by letting us know that our faith is in process. It is evolving. It is a work in motion. And that there are spaces for those questions as we seek understanding. The truth of the matter is he's not doubting Thomas. As a nickname, the scripture gives him a nickname, Didymus, which means twin. We don't know who the twin is, male or female. The twin is not mentioned, but I suspect that here today, Thomas may have many twins. In verse 19, when the disciples were afraid and they had locked themselves into a room, the the resurrected Jesus, Jesus um, who had raised from the dead bodily, fully, shows up in the room. No knocks, no need for doors. Jesus shows up in the midst of them and he breathes on them and says, peace be with you. Then he showed them his side. What a gift that was for them to see Jesus fully and bodily, physically present before them. And we may not be locked behind doors through fear like those disciples did, but, but you all, we've had an entire year where we have spent a lot of time in our own groups and huddles and bubbles And out of caution, we have tried to make sense of living and doing a life of faith in the middle of a pandemic. We've had our own kinds of long suffering. And it's been so long that we've been outside of our bubbles that when we are present in times like this here at the winery, for those of us who were able to make it, we we have that weird thing that we're frozen in space where we want to hug each other but we don't know and we don't know if we can. And so we wave and it's, we are learning how to be present with one another again. But during this past year, as we have worshiped together, in spite of these things, we have worked through new definitions of what worship is and what community is. We've had to adjust And we've even had to ask some questions about it as we've been in our living rooms, worshiping together with pajamas and behind masks and in Zoom meetings. And even doing the Lord's Supper with pretzels or M&Ms or whatever we could get our hands on at the moment, wondering if we are somehow forsaking this, this calling to be together and remain together. And yet we figured out And somehow Jesus has met us each time. We've had new encounters with God that we would not have had without these very weird and strange experiences. Thomas needed that. The disciples needed it. We needed it also. 
And so it doesn't mean that Thomas doesn't have faith. And for those of us who identify, it doesn't mean that we don't have faith. But it just means that our faith is moving and being moved in ways that we haven't experienced before. And we're working through that. You know, as a kid, we would go and we'd play outside. And we'd play in the backyard and we'd play in fields, kind of like the fields that we're here right now. And before we'd play, though, we'd, in Texas, we'd have this little thing that we'd do where we would go over and we would first search for dirt mounds. And we'd go over to the dirt mound and we would take the corner of our foot and we'd just kind of kick the dirt mound over. And then we'd jump back. And we'd wait about five or ten seconds. Now, if nothing happened after you kicked over a dirt mound in Texas, then you were okay. But if you found that you kicked over a dirt mound and jumped back, and if you saw activity, if you saw activity, you know they were red fire ants that would come to the surface and they would swarm the surface, that let you know that that is not the place where you want to play because those fire ants were going to bite you. And when they bit you, man, oh man, they would hurt. And before long, if you would find yourself standing in a, in a dirt mound that was really a fire ant bed, it didn't take long before you were kicking off your shoes and socks and sometimes even your pants. Because those fire ant bites were no joke. Well, Frederick Beekner says that, that doubt is kind of like that. He says doubts are like the ants in the pants of faith. They keep our faith moving. Doubts and questions have a way of keeping us from being stagnant in faith. Questions keep us from turning God into a set of propositions to be kept or principles to be met. But, but, but they help us to seek God in relationship. And if this story of these disciples and of Thomas can teach us anything, it is that God can meet us in our questions and God can meet us in the mystery. And sometimes the response is as clear as it was with Thomas and sometimes all we have is a mystery and both keep us moving and turning and dancing towards God. And I suspect that our faith is the same way. When our lived experiences have us asking new questions about God and when it has us being uncomfortable or sometimes even making others uncomfortable, Perhaps it's also keeping us from standing still for too long. They keep us exploring God, and they keep us exploring our faith, and it keeps us from letting our faith get stale, and they keep us moving and moving and moving towards God. And so in those questions, Jesus shows up for the ones who grieve, for the ones who are afraid, and yes, even for the ones who've got questions and doubts, and he meets them along the way. Jesus keeps showing up, and so so do the disciples, and eventually, so does Thomas. So will you.
Will you keep showing up? Even when experiences invite new questions or when it is not the way that you may prefer or perhaps even the way that's least comfortable, will you keep showing up? I hope you do. Whether it is by the visits, by the telephone, or whether it's by a lived stream or live stream service, or whether it is a gathering here at the winery, or whether it is a Zoom call where we are exchanging prayer needs and praying with one another. Will you show up? Because showing up in these experiences is our witness. They are faith-filled responses to uncertainty and questions. And it is a sign that our faith is still moving. And all of our experiences, yes, even the doubts and questions, are witness that help each one of us come to believe and continue to believe. So keep showing up. Keep working through your faith. Keep looking to explore resurrection life anew. Keep turning your faith towards God. Keep showing up. Thomas did. And you know what? Jesus did too. And perhaps that is enough for us to be set ablaze and keep our faith moving. Kind of like, like fire ants in the pants of our faith.